Pema Chodron says, everywhere we go, we see the misery that comes from buying into the eight worldly dharmas. It's also pretty obvious that people need help and that there's no way to benefit anybody unless we start with ourselves. Our motivation for practicing begins to change and we desire to become tamed and reasonable for the sake of other people. We still want to see how the mind works and how we get seduced by samsara, but it's not just for ourselves. It's for our companions, our children, our bosses. It's for the whole human dilemma. And I feel that because I want to get better for me and I want to be better for other people. I don't like when I'm down and I don't like what that does to other people. Friends, my family, regular strangers. When you put out that energy, you get that back and it just, it compounds on itself like a shitty snowball, like a pea snowball, which I don't, wouldn't that melt? Whatever, a yellow pea snowball. In Inner Engineering, Sadhguru says, the human predicament is just this. The very seat of your experience is within you, but your perception is entirely outward bound. This reminds me of a quote from Kipling, where he says, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. I feel like the self does that. It sees both just the same. It's not good or bad, it's just seeing it. And if you can tap into that feeling of just seeing it, you are left, you as your human self are left unaffected as well. It's the stoic philosophy of releasing control of the external and controlling your reaction to it. Rain isn't bad or good, but how you react can make it so. It's hard because it's this voice inside versus the one who listens to it. It's weird to keep shining the spotlight on that and thinking about that. Because this voice, this voice inside of you, this voice that you're used to hearing, this voice that argues with itself, it's constantly moving towards comfort and conspicuousness and power. It takes awareness to snap out of it. Because it's easily swayed either way. Good, bad, it'll find it, it'll see it, it'll move towards it. And that's why in this book, Michael Singer talks about consciously moving away, distancing yourself from the fake film that's playing in front of you. Distance from it. See it from the seat of the self, looking at it. Katie Waldman talks about that in the book, Can We Control the Voice in Our Head? And she says, the rhetorical device of ilyism is the habit of referring to oneself in the third person. Julius Caesar was an early adopter. Illy means he in Latin. This vainglorious tactic becomes something else, a coping mechanism with a new label. Now we can call it distant self-talk. High usage of first person singular pronouns, I, I'm mad, I'm sad, is a reliable marker of negative emotions. So as Katie states, it's better to adopt the advantage of a neutral observer. Katie is scrambling to meet her deadline, not me. Katie is sad, Katie is happy. This way of talking may sound like an excited teenager on TikTok, but apparently it's helpful. 
Eckhart Tolle says, because once you have disidentified with your mind, whether you're right or wrong makes no difference to your self at all. Your sense of self is then derived from a deeper and truer place within yourself, not from the mind. The self is unaffected, always. Always comes out on top. <laughs> and you know it because it, it's always there to witness through your whole spectrum of experience. It's there, it's witnessing it. As Michael Singer says, shine the spotlight on it. It's witnessing. And that may be why it's so easy to get separated from it because it's always there working in the background, whether you look at it or not. It fades into the background because it is the background. Ooh! The background of space and time. Ooh.